0: Wake Up Healthy is brought to you by Dr. Ray Heinisch and WakeUpHealthy.com. All right, hello everybody. My name is Dr. Ray Heinisch and I'd like to welcome you to the first official podcast episode of the show Wake Up Healthy. The show that's all about how do we wake up each and every morning a little bit healthier, with a little bit better mood, with a little bit more energy, so that each and every day we're actually getting better, we're feeling better. Until we achieve a level of health that is extraordinary, that has people saying, man, I want what they have. And then once we achieve that level of health, then we want to maintain that as long as humanly possible, right? You know, I I like to say that my goal is to live a long, healthy, happy, energetic life, Go to bed one day after having a great day, you know, maybe at the ripe old age of 110, and then just not wake up the next morning. Instead, you know, what conventional medicine teaches is this bubblegum and wire medicine concept. That is, you know, as we get older, we should fall apart. And as we fall apart, we'll piece ourselves back together with bubblegum and wire Until the doctor tells you that uh, there's nothing more they can do for you. And then we have this special place for you. It's called a nursing home where we're going to put you until you die, right? It's a terrible future. And unfortunately, it is the future that people imagine. I'll never forget this one time I was teaching this class in high school. And I asked the students in the class, I said, what do you imagine an 85-year-old person looks like? And one by one, they raised their hands and they all kind of spouted off a characteristic of An 85 year old person they said they're wrinkled they have an arched back they're riddled with arthritis they're grumpy and moody you know and they just listed off all of these problems they're on lots of medications and things like that and I then asked them I said who here wants to live to be a hundred years old and only about 20% of the class raised their hand and I was kind of dumbfounded by this and in fact, I said to them, I said, well, you know, tell me that when you're 99 years old. You know, the truth is, we all want to live as long as possible, provided we can do so in a comfortable way. That we can do so without falling apart, without feeling like our life is dependent on a bunch of side effect riddled medications. So part of the mission of this show is to change the model that people have in their mind about what's possible as we get older. You know, my mother is 80 years old and just got done playing a softball tournament. Whereas her sister, who lives in Puerto Rico, is just a little bit younger than she is and is nearly bedridden with arthritis and is on a number of medications for things like blood sugar and cholesterol. And so, you know, you have two people from the same gene pool who have totally different outcomes. So what's the difference between my mother and her sister. Well, it has a lot to do with lifestyle, not genetics. You know, we hear a lot of discussion about the genetics of disease, that uh, you have a predisposition for diabetes or for heart disease. And the reality is, is the way we look at genetics is genes offer many different paths, right? What determines the path that you take is the experience that those genes are bathed in. If you bathe the genetics for breast cancer, for example, in a lifestyle that is high fat, full of all kinds of pesticides and, and uh, toxic residues and lots of stress and you know not enough vegetables, then you will express those genes down the path or you have a higher likelihood of expressing those genes down the path of breast cancer. However, not everybody who has the genes for breast cancer goes on to develop breast cancer. So what's the difference between the people who do and the people who don't? And when we look at it, it's lifestyle. It's how we live that matters. You know, we like to say that the genetics load the gun, but the experiences of our life pull the trigger. Our lifestyle pulls the trigger. So if we make the right lifestyle choices, then we too at 80 years old could be playing softball rather than being laid out in bed with arthritis. Okay, so you beginning to see this, this is one of the main missions of this show is to not just change the model that people have in their brains, but give you the tools you need to be able to find that level of extraordinary health. And it doesn't happen overnight, you know, you don't develop major diseases overnight, generally, they happen over a long period of time. That's why this show is called Wake Up Healthy, because What we want to do is we want to wake up each morning a little bit healthier. We're not trying to just change everything all at once. And that's how health occurs, right? That's how disease occurs. We like to say, you know, I have another podcast that I do. It's called Cut the Fat Podcast. It's all about primarily weight loss. And one thing we say is I have good news and I have bad news for you. Change happens slowly. That's the bad news. The good news is change happens slowly. Now, why is that good and bad news? It's good news because, you know, if you make a bad decision today, as far as, let's say, you eat a hamburger and fries, it doesn't mean you're going to wake up tomorrow with heart disease. No. And the same thing holds true. That's why it's good news. Because, you know, you can make some really bad decisions today, and as long as you make good decisions tomorrow, you can correct for that, right? Now, it's bad news because when we make good changes in our lifestyle, those changes don't often result in benefits overnight either, right? So it's kind of the good and the bad. You know, we've got to wait for the good benefits to occur. We have to do things long enough to allow the body time to change. So that's something that you've got to really think about as we go along this model. We can't, you know, we're all used to... If we've got a pain, take an ibuprofen, and the pain will go away within an hour. That's not how natural medicine works. That's not how you know, healthy lifestyle works. It's the kind of thing where you change today, you take a pill today, you make a lifestyle shift today, and then you make that same lifestyle shift tomorrow, and you do it the next day, and the next day, and still you may not have a positive outcome. You may not feel more energetic. It may take weeks or months, and in some cases years to see that shift. You have to be ready to wait for it, right? You have to be ready for those benefits to occur slowly. Now, let's take a look at the current definition of health and I'll explain how my model of health and how my definition of health is different than the conventional model. So if we were to open up a Webster's Dictionary and look up this word health, what we would see basically, is that it is defined as the state of being free from injury or illness. Now, on the surface, that seems like a pretty good definition. And in fact, that is the definition that conventional medicine uses. Let me give you an example, a visual, if you will. So imagine that health exists on a continuum from 0 to 10, with 0 being the complete absence of health or death. And on the other side of the spectrum, let's say a 10 we have perfect mental, spiritual, and physical health, right? What medicine attempts to do is to get you to five. They want you to be what's called asymptomatic, meaning you don't have symptoms of disease or necessarily signs of disease either. So, you know, if you have high cholesterol, the goal is to get you to the point where they have deemed a healthy cholesterol level and to get you down to that point where you have that number. Or if you are in pain, the goal is to get you out of pain, That is getting you to the five. If you have fatigue, their goal is to get you to the point where you are like everybody else or like the majority of the population. And the truth is the majority of the population isn't hugely energetic and they're not hugely fatigued either. They're just kind of in the middle. And conventional medicine wants to get you back to the middle. What we have a tendency to do in the holistic world is yeah, we try to help people get back to the five, but we don't stop there. Our goal is to get you from the five as close to the 10 as we possibly can and as you're willing to take yourself. The truth is not everybody wants to do what needs to be done to get to the 10, and that's okay. Some people might say, well, I want a, I want a level of health that's an eight as long as I can have a bowl of ice cream from time to time. You know, some people might say, I want, a, I want a level of health that's a seven as long as I can, you know, eat a burger and fries and, you know, maybe a bowl of ice cream from time to time, you know, and I don't have to spend uh, three hours on the treadmill every day, right? So, you know, you get to decide how healthy you want to be based on how much activity you're willing to put or how much time you're willing to put into your health achievement kind of uh, activities, okay? So... The way I would define health, and I guess we would add a word to it. We wouldn't just say health. We'd say optimal health because health is basically just the state of being free from injury or illness. But the state of optimal health or extraordinary health is uh, defined basically the injury and illness-free state accompanied by tremendous energy, resilient, pleasant mood, rock-solid memory, a bulletproof immune system, restorative sleep patterns, and a regenerative body which is resistant to disease. Now, I know that's a long definition, and it may be a little bit convoluted, and I reserve the right to simplify it in the future, but for now, this is how I want you to define optimal health or extraordinary health. The injury and illness-free state accompanied by tremendous energy, resilient, pleasant mood, rock-solid memory, a bulletproof immune system, restorative sleep patterns, and a regenerative body which is resistant to disease. All right? So that's how we should define it. And you can see how medicine likes the simple definitions, right? Because they don't have to spend a lot of time with people to explain that. And uh, that's why, you know, we may have dozens and dozens of shows dedicated to helping you really get deep into that definition of extraordinary health, right? So that's the definition. Now, when um, things go wrong in the body, okay, when things go wrong in the body, we need a model or a framework for deciding on a treatment plan. And so I've come up with four questions that you should be asking yourself anytime you're faced with a treatment plan. Question number one is, will this treatment prolong my life significantly? Now, the key word in that line is significantly, because the way conventional medicine works or decides on their treatments is based on what's called statistical significance, rather than what I call personal significance. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. Statistical significance, asks the question, is if we give this medication to enough people, will we help some of them? While personal significance asks the question, if I take this medication, will it help me? So in statistics, they have this value, it's called an NNT or a number needed to treat. The number needed to treat value tells us how many people we have to give a particular treatment to before we would see one positive outcome. So I'll give you an example. In fact, let me take a moment and beat up on Fosamax for a little while, okay? So in one of the main studies, the researchers touted a 56% decrease in the group given the Fosamax compared to those given the placebo pill. Sounds like a significant finding, doesn't it? But when we look closer at the research, the difference is actually very, very insignificant if we're talking about personal significance. All right, it sounds wonderful that there's a 56% decrease in risk of fracture, but when we look closer at the numbers, you'll see just how insignificant it is to you personally if you take Fosamax. All right, so when we look at the group that was given the treatment, Fosamax, 99.8% of them did not suffer a fracture, right? It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? 99.8% of people who were given Fosamax did not have a fracture. But when you look at the placebo group, the group given the sugar pill, 99.5% of them did not suffer a fracture. So that means that the actual difference between the two groups was just 0.3%, basically one-third of 1% difference, not quite as significant-sounding as a 56% decrease. When they say a 56% decrease, they're talking about relative risk, which is an arbitrary number designed to make the results look more significant than they actually are. In other words, you would have to treat 81 women for 4.2 years at a cost of about $300,000 in order to prevent one fracture. That's what we mean by number needed to treat. You need to treat 81 women, or 81 people for 4.2 years in this case to prevent one fracture. That means that 80 out of 81 women will gain no benefit from taking the medication. And to me, the risk is hardly worth the reward in that case. Now, if that medication or that treatment in question didn't have significant risks or side effects, then 1 out of 81 would be worth it, wouldn't it? Because we'd just be taking a pill, and yeah, only one out of 81 women would benefit, but because there are no risks or side effects associated with it, it would be worth it. The problem is that's not how medications work. They all have side effects. They all have risks. And with Fosamax, for example, the risks are great. They include pain, fractures that don't heal, dental problems. And we're starting to see more and more what's called low energy fractures associated with Fosamax and that class of medication, which is People who break a bone for no apparent reason. They could be walking to the bathroom and their bone just fractures. Those are called low-energy fractures. So the risks are great. And because of that, we have to scrutinize the use of these medications more thoroughly. Okay, so I've kind of gotten off on a tangent here, beaten up on Fosamax. We'll save that for the show on osteoporosis. For now, let's go back to the four questions, okay? So question number one is, will this prolong my life significantly? the second question is, will this treatment shorten my life significantly? Okay, so these questions are not the same. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're contemplating taking a medication to treat psoriasis, right? Now, that medication is not known, nor does it tout to prolong your life, okay? So that question is answered with a no. When we go to the second question, will this treatment shorten my life, well then the waters get a little murkier, don't they? Because a lot of psoriasis medications actually work by inhibiting the immune system. That then can make it more difficult for your body to hunt down and kill off cancer cells. So it is possible that a psoriasis medication that doesn't prolong your life may actually shorten it. And so that's an important question to ask because sometimes we get so caught up in the symptom of disease, that we forget about the impact it has on our longevity. So anytime we're faced with a treatment, I think it's important that we ask this question. All right, so on to the third question, which is, will this treatment make me feel better? And you might think that this one is commonsensical, but in fact, it's not, especially when we're talking about conventional medical treatments. Take blood pressure medications, for example. They don't suggest that taking a blood pressure medication is gonna make you feel better. In fact, most doctors will admit that the medication will likely make you feel worse, right? Beta blockers, for example, may cause you to feel fatigue, but medicine will say, well, the trade-off is it will help you to live longer. And we could draw that into question, but I don't wanna get into that right now. All I want you to do is learn the framework, right? After you've asked, will this prolong your life? Will it shorten your life? You've got to ask, will this medication make me feel better? If not, will it make me feel worse? And oftentimes in conventional medicine, it's acceptable to make a patient feel worse as long as it prolongs their life, right? And again, we're not talking about personal significance with prolonging one's life, are we? We're talking about statistical significance. So once we use this framework, we then get to decide if the benefits are outweighed by the risks, right? If the rewards are outweighed by the risks. The final question is, is there an effective alternative with few to no side effects? This is probably the most important question that you could possibly ask after you've kind of gone through the rigmarole that most conventional doctors will run you through, right? You go in, blood pressure's elevated, they write a prescription for the medication, you ask the question, will this prolong my life significantly? The answer is no, not significantly, at least not personally significant. Then the question is, will it shorten my life? And the question is, possibly. When we really dive deep into the research, some of the evidence and some of the significant evidence suggests that in fact, these medications may shorten your life. So third question is, will this make me feel better? The answer is no, it will not make you feel better. And typically, it will make you feel worse. At the very best, you won't feel better or worse. And then the fourth question is, is there an effective alternative for my hypertension or high blood pressure with few to no side effects? And the answer, according to holistic medicine, is absolutely. You can typically regulate your blood pressure naturally without the need for medications. So let's say we put out a holistic or a natural plan. We cut starch, for example. Starch and sugar in the diet, cut that down because that causes an elevation of blood pressure. Increase our potassium intake, that lowers blood pressure. Take some omega-3 fatty acids, perhaps some magnesium. That helps to improve blood pressure. Then we run that treatment plan through these questions. Will this treatment prolong my life significantly? And we believe yes, the scientific evidence suggests yes. The second question is, will this shorten my life? The answer is no. The third question is, will this make me feel better? You better believe if you cut starch and sugar down, you will feel better. If you start to add omega-3 fatty acids to the mix, you will feel better. Adding magnesium can help you feel better. All kinds of things seem to shift in the positive when we make these types of changes. So the answer is yes, it will typically make you feel better. And then the fourth question, and guess what? You know, even though we're dealing with holistic solutions here, we always want to ask this fourth question. Why? Because we can always do better. We can always improve upon our program. So we still want to ask the question, is there a more effective alternative with few to no side effects? The answer may be yes. The answer may be no. Doesn't really matter because it's a whole lot better regardless compared to the conventional treatment. All right. So those are the four questions that you need to ask anytime you're faced with a treatment for a particular health challenge. It'll help you kind of work through mentally whether or not this is the right solution for you. And you know, guess what? There are some people out there who will run through these questions on a particular medication for a particular problem. And the ends do justify the means. That's okay. And when we get into the Core guiding principles of Wake Up Healthy, I think you'll see that we're not against conventional treatment. We just want to make sure that it has the right role within your health. All right. So that's all we have time for today. Uh, In the next episode, we're going to get into some of those core guiding principles of Wake Up Healthy. Again, we're still in that toolbox phase, that phase of helping to shift your philosophy, shift your frameworks. And then, you know, as we kind of get deeper and deeper into these shows, we're going to start getting more specific about how do we deal with particular health challenges, particular diseases. But to successfully treat those types of conditions and diseases, you really have to have a really solid foundation, a good grasp of these frameworks from which we build those treatment plans. All right. I also want to encourage you to get involved with the community. So find us on Facebook. Just search for Wake Up Healthy and be sure to like the page. And then also check us out at wakeuphealthy.com. And we'll see you next time here on the show that's all about waking up a little bit healthier each and every day. See you then.